Vishnupad Paramhamsa Parivrajagacharja Ashtosarashtata Shri Srimad A.C. Bhaktivaranta Swami Srila Prabhupada Ki Anantakota Vaishnavrinda Ki Jai All glories to the assembled devotees Hare Krishna All glories to the assembled devotees Hare Krishna All glories to the assembled devotees Hare Krishna All glories, all glories to Shishi Guru and Gauranga All glories to Srila Prabhupada Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Magyana Tamarandasya, Jana Jana Shalakaya, Chakshurul Militam Jaina, Tasmai Shri Guruve Namaha. I was born in the darkest ignorance, and my spiritual master opened my eyes with the torch of knowledge. I offer my respectful obeisances unto him. Shri Chaitanya Manovistam, Sapitam Jena Bhutale, Swayam Rupakadamayam, Tadati Swapadantikam. 
When will Srila Rupa Goswami Prabhupada, who has established within this material world the mission to fulfill the desire of Lord Chaitanya, give me shelter under his lotus feet? Vancha kalpa tarubhyasya kripa sanubhyavacha patitanam pavanebhyo vaishnavebhyo namonamaha. I offer my respectful obeisances unto the Vaishnav devotees of the Lord. They are just like desire trees and can fulfill the desires of everyone, and they are full of compassion for the fallen conditioned souls. Jai Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Shri Advaita Gadadhar Shri Vasadi Gaurabhakta Vrinda. I offer my respectful obeisances unto Shri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, Lord Nityananda Shri Advaita Gadadhar Pandit Shri Vastakur, and all the devotees of Lord Chaitanya. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. So today is Tuesday, May 11th, 2021, and we're reading from Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 1, Creation, Chapter 7, The Son of Drona Punished, Text 23. Yeah, I don't think there's any point in putting it up because I'm doing 23. Vamadhyā purusha sakshad ishvara prakriti para Mayam Vyudashya Chichaktya Gaivalya Shtita Atmani. Dvam Adya, you are the original. Purusha, the enjoying personality. Shakshat, directly. Ishvara, the controller. Prakriti, of material nature. Para, transcendental. Mayam, the material energy. Diyasha, one who has thrown aside. Chit-shaktya, by dint of internal potency. Gaivalya, in pure eternal knowledge and bliss. Sita, placed, atmani, own self. Translation and purport by His Divine Grace, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Srila Prabhupada. You are the original personality of Godhead who expands himself all over the creations and is transcendental to material energy. You have cast away the effects of the material energy by dint of your spiritual potency. You are always situated in eternal bliss and transcendental knowledge. Report. The Lord states in the Bhagavad Gita that one who surrenders unto the lotus feet of the Lord can get release from the clutches of nescience. Krishna is just like the sun, and maya, or material existence, is just like darkness. Wherever there is the light of the sun, darkness or ignorance at once vanishes. The best means to get out of the world of ignorance is suggested here. The Lord is addressed herein as the original personality of Godhead. From him, all other personalities of Godhead expand. The all-pervasive Lord Vishnu is Lord Krishna's plenary portion or expansion. The Lord expands himself in innumerable forms of Godhead and living beings, along with his different energies. But Sri Krishna is the original primeval Lord from whom everything emanates. The all-pervasive feature of the Lord experienced within the manifested world is also a partial representation of the Lord. Paramatma, therefore, is included within him. He is the absolute personality of Godhead. He has nothing to do with the actions and reactions of material manifestation because he is far above the material creation. Darkness is a perverse representation of the sun. 
And therefore, the existence of darkness depends on the existence of the sun. But in the sun proper, there is no trace of darkness. As the sun is full of light only, similarly, the absolute personality of Godhead beyond the material existence is full of bliss. He is not only full of bliss, but also full of transcendental variegatedness. Transcendence is not at all static, but full of dynamic variegatedness. He is distinct from the material nature, which is complicated by the three modes of material nature. He is Parama, or the chief. Therefore, he is absolute. He has manifold energies, and through his diverse energies, he creates, manifests, maintains, and destroys the material world. In his own abode, however, everything is eternal and absolute. The world is not conducted by the energies or powerful agents by themselves, but by the potent, all-powerful, with all energies. So we're continuing this conversation that Arjuna is having with Krishna after um, the son of Drona, Ashvatthama, released the Brahmastra, the nuclear weapon, to destroy his the rest of Arjuna's family. And specifically to destroy... Maharaj Parikshit, who is in the womb at this moment. And so we learned previously that Arjuna is feeling this, you know, his spidey senses are tingling, he senses danger is present, and so he turns to none other than Krishna, because in the time of danger and when we have extreme fear, we turn to God. And he sets this example again and again, right? He sets it during the Bhagavad Gita, when he turns to Krishna as his friend and then turns to him as his uh, spiritual master. So he's once again talking to Krishna and he's saying, you know, he's first glorifying him. He's asking the question like, hey, protect me. What's happening here? But in the process of doing so, he's first glorifying him. So we learned last week, you know, he talks about his glories. He's He's full of fearlessness, infinite, here he's talking about, you know, he expands, Krishna expands himself all over the creations. It's transcendental to the material energy. And as a result, he can cast away the effects of material energy. So all that is needed, again, this the theme of this verse is, you know, this material world is full of danger and suffering, and Krishna alone can, can liberate us from this uh, material world. And so in this particular verse the theme of that of that liberation is surrender the first is Prabhupada says that one who surrenders unto the lotus feet of the lord can get released from the clutches of nations so we look at this word surrender last week someone asked a question about you know the difference between surrender and retreating or giving up or you know surrender in battle where you can be taken as prisoner of war versus surrender to God, and how are those things different? And so let's look at that. You know, we think of surrender, the definition is cease resistance to an enemy or opponent or, and submit to their authority. But it also means to give up control of something or to give up something up to another. So surrender is actually a very interesting word because when we think of surrender, you know, we think of that idea of um, ceasing control and giving up and surrender and um, giving up to an enemy. 
So we think of only bad things that happen if we surrender. You know, when we surrender, it puts us in a very vulnerable position, and that's not very comfortable. When we feel vulnerable, um, you know, we feel scared that something can happen to us or someone can do something to us. And especially when we're talking about matters of the heart, there's nothing more vulnerable than opening up yourself to someone to let them see your heart, to let them to let love in and to love someone else because that's where we can, in the material world, have the most amount of pain. So this other definition of surrender, giving up control of something or to give something up, can also sound scary, but we have to look at what are we giving up and what are we giving in to. And that makes all the difference of the, in the world. I was having this discussion as well with someone else about surrender versus giving up. Because I was telling them that, you know, one of my big realizations in life has been that um, one of the things that we have in this world is we tend to feel helpless. We tend to feel like we have no power. You know, whether it's against, you know, growing up as a child is against your parents, that you feel like you have no power, you feel helpless. Or, you know, when you're working, you feel like you have no power against your boss. Um, sometimes in a relationship, you feel like you have no power, no control. So we're always trying to establish this power, this control, this get over this feeling of helplessness. And I've realized that a lot of my actions have come from trying not to feel helpless. And my big realization was that actually helplessness is not a bad thing. It's like that's, it's a, it's on the spectrum of surrender, right? If we, allow ourselves to feel helpless, but in, in an empowered way. Empowered helplessness is surrender to some extent, right? So if I come in front of the deities and I just say, you know, I'm helpless in all situations around me, and I surrender my control to Radha Kalashenji, then it's also empowering. And, you know, we were talking about why that's so, because we tend to think of helpless and even surrender as being very weak positions, and I was, um, my position in this discussion was that it's actually a, pow- a position of empowerment, not um, weakness. So there's some things that I was thinking about with surrender versus giving up, and I read some things as well. So surrender is acknowledging that you have limited power over a person or situation, whereas giving up could be a desperate attempt to exert power and protect your heart. So in this, in the case of a relationship, even a friendship, you know, I, um, or even in terms of uh, relationships within my family or within, you know, any of types of relationships, if I realize that I really have no control over the other person's actions and what they're going to say and what they're going to think, I only can control what I say and what I think and what I how I react, right? So. Surrender in that sense is that is my recognizing that I have no control over this other person and just accepting that, right? Accepting who they are, how they are, um, what they do, accept, accepting the other person for who they are. But at the same time, I could just be like, Ugh, this person, you know, and it, they're never going to change. And, you know, I wish they would be like that. And then you kind of just kind of walk away, and that's more of a giving up feeling, where um, 
I want to change them and I expect to change them and yet I can't, so I'm walking away to protect my own feelings. And it's not a, it's not a moment of surrender. It's not accepting the other person for who they are. Um, another difference is surrender feels peaceful and is often accompanied by a sense of relief, whereas giving up feels hopeless and like a defeat. So surrendering to God, to Krishna, it can actually give you this sense of peace. I've, I think I've mentioned this before, but I say this a lot, is that, you know, if I'm surrender, the part of surrender that I look at a lot is control. Like if I think, oh my God, I can't believe, you know, it's mid-May and we're still having some my cold weather, or um, here it is a year plus into pandemic and the temple is locked down again, right? I don't really have control over that situation. I, I have to, okay, that's, I accept that. And accepting it gives you the sense of peace of like, okay, this is the way things are. Um, this is how, in some ways, this is how Krishna wants it, right? So then we can work with that because we know that I have no control over these things. You know, I don't really want to control the weather and, you know, if it's going to be hot or cold because that, that's so much responsibility. I have enough time controlling my own mind, right? Whereas at some level, you know, it could be like, man, this pandemic is never going to end and it feels hopeless and you can feel this, like, sense of defeat of, I can't believe the temple's closed again and, you know... um, there's still this desire of wanting to control it and wanting it to be different than it actually is. And because it's not, you feel hopeless and defeated. Surrender is an intellectual decision made over time after careful consideration, and giving up is often fueled by strong emotional reaction. Surrendering is stepping to the side so that Krishna can work his magic, and giving up is saying, I don't believe in magic or miracles. Surrendering is acknowledging that you have limited power over a person or situation, and giving up could be a desperate attempt to exert power and protect your heart. Oh, I already said that one. Surrender is admitting that you might not have all the answers and there could be another way, and giving up shuts down new possibilities. So these last few, um, except for the one that I repeated, um, they all kind of are, I mean, all of these are just acknowledging that this is the way the situation is, and I can be upset about it, and I can, you know, admit defeat over it, but if you think about it, and because, you know, one of the things I was saying is that it's it's an intellectual decision. You've thought about it, you've looked at it, um, and then you said, okay, this is the way it is. So how am I going to um, get right with myself so that I can accept it the way it is instead of still having this internal feeling of I want it to be different? Um, and when we give up, sometimes that is emotional. It's very like, I can't do this. It can be fueled by anger. It can be fueled by sadness. It can be fueled by so many different things. And it's not believing that Krishna can step in and do something about about it. And he may or may not, but just giving him that option and saying, you know, whatever the way it is is how Krishna wants it to be. 
It also reminds me of that prayer that we hear a lot. Um, it's called a serenity prayer, where it says, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things that I cannot change, to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. And that's basically what surrendering is. It's knowing what you can change and what you can't change, and understanding that at the end of it, it's all Krishna's will, that we are letting ourselves to Krishna's will. Now, this doesn't mean that we do nothing, that we sit around and say, oh, this is all Krishna's will, because Krishna says we still have to do our duty. The results of the duty is not ours, but our duty is ours. Our actions are ours. So we still have to do that, the the things that we need to do. We still have to take precautions against this pandemic, against this virus that we have that's still raging around the world and affecting so many of our families and friends and acquaintances. Um, So we still have to take precautions, but we also have to leave it to Krishna's hands. So I think there's another parable that I've heard. It says, you know, pray pray to God, but still tie up your horse, right? Like, you're not going to say, oh, well, if you know God wants, my horse will stay wherever I leave it. Um, it won't wander off or it won't get stolen. Um, but at the same time, you know, if you tie off your horse, then the horse will stay in place. So you're just making sure. It still can get stolen, but it's less likely to wander off and it's less likely to get stolen. So it's more of doing the actions that you need to do. Um, so surrender doesn't mean just taking no action and just, um, you know, like a little baby uh, just sitting there and letting things happen to you. It's saying that I'm going to do what I need to do or what I have to do, my duty, but I'm not going to be so attached to the way things are and just understanding that I did I did my part and Krishna will take care of the rest. He'll either... Um, take the results in the way that I expected, or he'll take it in a different way. And nine times out of ten, I always find out that Krishna does it in such a way, I mean, almost immediately, I'd say nine times out of ten, I find out Krishna does it in such a way that the results are so much better than I would expect it. And that other one time, it usually takes a little bit longer for me to see that um, results were so much better than I could have ever expected. So this question of surrender really does come down to who are we surrendering to? And here it says to Krishna. In Bhagavad Gita 7.7, Krishna says, There is no truth superior to me. Everything rests upon me as pearls on a string. Pearls are strung on a thread. So Krishna is like that thread that's keeping the pearls together that we don't really see. And there is no truth superior to him. He is the ultimate truth. He's Supreme Personality Godhead. So that's who we are surrendering to. Krishna goes on to explain who he is in Bhagavad Gita 10.2. He says, Neither the hosts of the demigods nor the great sages know my origin or opulences, for in every respect I am the source of the demigods and sages. So he's the source of everything, Krishna. Krishna, Then he even says that in 10.8. I am the source of all spiritual and material worlds. Everything emanates from me. The wise who perfectly know this engage in my devotional service and worship me with all their hearts. So this is who we are surrendering to, the person who is the source of all spiritual and material worlds. 
and everything comes from him. He holds everything together. He is the source for all the demigods. He's the source of all or of all opulences. Um, in 7.14, he says, this divine energy of mine consisting of the three modes of material nature is difficult to overcome, but those who have surrendered unto me can easily cross beyond it. So even Krishna is saying that the only way you can escape this material world and the miseries that accompany the material world is to surrender to him. And so, you know, we really want to look at who it is that we're surrendering to. And Krishna is dear is a dear friend to everyone, right? So many times in the Bhagavad Gita, he says to Arjuna, I, I explain this to you because you are a dear friend of mine or you are dear to me, right? He uses this term very um, loosely. I mean, he says it a lot. Like, those that have surrendered to him are very dear to him. They're his friends, his friends to everyone. So Krishna is love. He's um, Love is almost like he is the absolute truth. And love is the absolute truth. But it's absolute love, unconditional love that we're surrendering to. And, you know, Mother's Day was a couple of days ago, and I read somewhere that um, in the material world, the closest we come to unconditional love is the love that a mother has for her child. And I can see that in some ways is very true. You know, the mom loves her child no matter what. Um... Of course, as we get further degraded in this material world, we do see that sometimes even moms, you know, have character flaws and other things going on that they don't shower their baby with love. So even that most pure love in the material world is still filled with flaws and, and some levels can feel con- uh, conditional, right? So a lot of times, um, we may have some ideas that well, in order to be loved, I have to be successful, I have to do this. And that's because sometimes our parents make us feel that way. Like um, They show us love and affection and praise when we do something well, and then when we mess up or fail or, you know, it, sometimes we get punished and it can feel like they don't love us. And so we tend to think that our, the love is very conditional. It may or may not be, um, but sometimes our perception is that the love can be very conditional based on if we are doing well or not. The truth of the matter is most mothers love their children no matter what, whether they fail or succeed. Um, I think even like the worst serial killer, I mean, they're all pretty bad, right? I think even their moms love them, right? So... They'll say, yeah, I understand that he's doing bad things, but he still love, they still love their son, even if he is a serial killer. So <clears throat> who we surrender to is really what makes all the difference in the world. We are very fearful of surrendering because all we know are these material relationships where, where if we even come even close to surrendering, you know, being that level of vulnerable, we do get hurt. Um, we do feel that pain um, of betrayal or loss. Um, So we tend to protect our hearts from surrendering. In Srimad Bhagavatam, uh, Canto 6, Chapter 3, Verse 20-21, kind of paraphrased, it says, This transcendental religious principle 
or surrender unto the Supreme Lord and love for him is uncontaminated by the material modes of nature. It is very confidential and difficult for ordinary human beings to understand. But if by chance one fortunately understands it, they are immediately liberated, and thus they return home back to Godhead. So because of our experience here in the material world and our conditioning, all we see of relationships are conditional relationships. You know, a lot of our relationships tend to be transactional. Like, if you behave this way, then I will love you and I'll stay with you. But if we, if you don't, you know, if you don't do this for me, um, oftentimes when you talk to a couple, they're breaking up, they'll say, oh, they took me for granted or, you know, I kept giving and giving and they didn't give anything back or the other opposite end of it is like they never did anything for me. Well, we kind of see that love becomes conditional in that sense. Like there has to be that, um, there has to be something that they're getting in return. Whereas really we want love to be reciprocated and reciprocation and condition is different. Condition is if you love me, I will love you. But when we love someone, we want to feel that love back, and that's reciprocation. So that's a little bit different than condition. So here in this um, verse that I just read, it says that it's very difficult for us to understand. But if we have the great fortune of understanding it, Krishna immediately envelops us and takes us back home, right? And we know from the Bhagavad Gita that he is in all of our hearts and he gives us that mercy to come to him, knowing what our desires are. In Bhagavad Gita 4.11, he says, As all surrender unto me, I reward them accordingly. Everyone follows my path in all respects. And he says this because whether we're following the path of material you know, opulence or spiritual liberation, it's all Krishna's energy. It's just that one will bring us eternal joy and knowledge and um, eternal life, whereas the other keeps us entangled in the material world, in this uh, duality of happiness and distress and um, coming back again and again, the cycle of birth and death. And the beauty of this is that although we may have given up on Krishna, you know, we've been here thousands and thousands of lifetimes, millions of lifetimes, and we, you know, Krishna's sitting there in our hearts just just kind of like willing us to turn to him. And even though we've given up on him and we haven't turned to him, he's not given up on us. He's never given up on us. And he never will give up on us. So now that we know what surrender is and who we're surrendering to and why it's important to surrender, the question now becomes, how do we surrender? And I was reminded of this saying that proximity is power. The best way to surrender is to stay close to Krishna. And how do we stay close to him? Well, we have to remember that Krishna is non-different than his holy name, pastimes, qualities, um, you know, et cetera, et cetera, right? So the Srimad Bhagavatam is great for staying close to Krishna because it it's all about Krishna's qualities and pastimes. Chanting Japa and chanting Kirtan is a great way to stay close to him because it's his holy name and he's non-different than his holy name. When we say Krishna, Krishna 
is actually that name is Krishna. It's hard for us to understand that because we see our name, Jayashri, as separate from who I am. But Krishna is not like that. He's the same. Like Krishna is his name. And so it's said that when we say Krishna, he's dancing on our tongue. So he's never far. In 1861, he says, The Supreme Lord is situated in everyone's heart and is directing the wanderings of all living entities who are seated as on a machine made of the material energy. So Krishna is there in everyone's heart. So he's always near us. We just have to realize he's near us. He's, we're associating with him. And of course, for me, the most important way to associate with Krishna is to associate with his devotees. We've talked at, um, before in the last couple of weeks that the way to receive the mercy of Krishna is to receive the mercy of his devotees. But more than just the mercy of Krishna, which is pretty much everything with devotees, we, when we're in the association of devotees, we remember who we are and we, we um, remember our relationship with Krishna. It's easier to do that. So that mercy is also flowing, but flowing, but that mercy also allows us to remember and reconnect who we are. In Bhagavad Gita 10.9, Krishna says, The thoughts of my pure devotees dwell in me. Their lives are fully devoted to my service, and they derive great satisfaction and bliss from always enlightening one another and conversing about me. So this is one of the beauties of associating with devotees, is that we derive great satisfaction and bliss from discussing Krishna. I've mentioned this before, but it's always important to remind myself and remind others that, you know, I'm a very social person, so I always have some level of joy and enjoyment when I'm around people, um, whether it's one-on-one with a friend or it's in a social setting, party. But I've always found that no matter how much joy and fun that I have with um, friends that I may hang out with, when I'm hanging out with devotee friends and we're, you know, we're getting together, whether one-on-one or in a um, social party situation or um, some kind of other gathering, you know, like retreats, things like that. There's no, there's nothing that compares to that because it's fun and it's um, blissful, but there's something else to it, right? It, it feeds another part of my being, you know, who I am, really, it speaks to who I am, and it and it almost feels like I can be free to be who I am when I'm around my devotee friends, whereas with my non-devotee friends, friends of mine, they may not have realized that there are devotees of Krishna. It almost feels like, you know, I have to watch what I say because you don't want to offend anyone that doesn't have the same beliefs that you do. Um, you have to just be a little bit guarded because... You know, we have to protect our devotion, our love for Krishna. And sometimes if we say this the wrong thing to the wrong person, they can fill our heart with doubt with the responses that they have. So we want to be very protective of it. And so then sometimes in that sense, you know, I relate to the friends that I have on the commonalities, but, some, but I can't share that one part of myself that I feel is like the whole part of myself. So when I associate with devotees, that's definitely there. And it really just brings the 
friendship and the times that we have together up to a whole different level. Even now in the pandemic, um, you know, I was having this conversation with another friend of mine where we were talking about um, how both of us are very social and extroverted people and how when the pandemic hit, it was really hard because we couldn't gather, we couldn't have these parties like we were used to. And I thought, for me, one of the ways that I was able to cope with it is that I started to seek out other avenues of being able to associate and maintain my social life and reaching out through Zoom um, and having different things like that, you know, starting to, to realize the power of technology to keep us connected globally. And I was thinking of this quote that I heard that love transcends Time and space, right? So just because somebody is far away doesn't mean that I can't send love to them or they can't send love to me and I and I won't feel it, right? Um, and especially now, you know, even before we had technology of Zoom or video chatting, we had phones. Um, previously, we had like telegrams, you know, mail or carrier pigeons. We had some way of communicating with people that were distanced um, away from us and when we get those messages, you know, when you get a phone call from a friend, I remember, this is like long before cell phones, I remember I was traveling one time, and um, this is, yeah, this is long before cell phones, and there was this phone company that was doing some sort of promotion, and they gave you like a free long distance phone call. So I called my best friend back, who was here, and I think I was up in New York at that time. And she felt so touched because, you know, back then, long-distance calls were so expensive. And, you know, you just, when a friend of yours goes on vacation, you just expect not to talk to them until they get back because, you know, who's going to spend that kind of money on a friend? You know, you do that maybe with family. So I used this, like, free phone call that I had um, through this promotion to call her. And, you know, we were t- we still talk about that, like how that was such a big deal. And now it's not a big deal to to reach out to someone. But that act of my reaching out transcended space, right? Like we weren't physically next to each other. We were far away. So it was able to transcend space, and she still felt that love that I had for her, and I felt the love that she had for me through that phone call. And now we get to see each other. We, you know, for free, I can talk to anyone around the world and see them, and it's almost like being present um, you know, in each other's presence. And so through that, I was, I've been able to meet so many different people around the world. And I have a few meetings that I have regularly. Um, and I have a few group of friends that we meet, you know, two or three times a week on Zoom. And um, they're devotees. And we discuss, you know, our challenges and our realizations and what we're doing great and what we're we need to work on and it's all centered around krishna consciousness around krishna and those meetings that i have they like lift me up and make me feel so much better than the other meetings that i have which i love too and they lift me up as well um and and, and i'm beginning to like one of the meetings i have once a week um it's great because I'm beginning to feel a little bit more confident to bring in more of my faith into it. And the more I do that, the more connected I feel. 
with people there. So I'm realizing also that um, feeling that safe space in order to share that is also really important um, to share that, that love for Krishna. And, you know, I continue to do that, have these different associations on Zoom with people all over the world because that's how, you know, that's kind of how we can associate now. Um, we're discussing, you know, the differences between associating in person and associating in versus Zoom. In Zoom. And, you know, this last year with the pandemic, we've learned that we can pretty much, we have pretty much every single devotee available to us as long as they're hooked up on Zoom, right? We have every single advanced devotee, sannyasi, guru, you know, we can reach out to them through Zoom. We can see their recordings. And it's almost like being there, you know. Um, I know through this pandemic and having all these things, I've attended classes and lectures of people that I never would have. I've never been in the same um, proximity space as they've been. So I would say, you know, one of the things we want to really focus on is having really intentional association with devotees regularly um, where you're coming together to discuss, you know, either you can have a book reading and discuss what you're reading and how it pertains to your life. You can just have open discussions, just a time to get together with each other, to uplift each other and strengthen each other and support each other. I think that becomes really important in our process of surrendering to Krishna is having that level of vulnerability with each other. So, so the question is, um, <clears throat> Prabhupada says, surrender and go back to Godhead. But then there are other times where he says that <clears throat> devotees don't always go back to Godhead. They may come back to earth to serve Krishna's purpose, you know, be part of his entourage when Krishna comes to earth or to spread his message. So, you know, do, what could there be a different meaning to going back to Godhead? And I would say yes, because even in this verse that we read today, or in the purport, Krishna talks about the fact that once we surrender, we're no longer part of this material world, even if we're in this material world. Um, so it's really where our mindset is, where our thought processes are, that really makes the difference of where we actually are. So we can be here in the material world, but actually be in the spiritual world, because that's how surrendered we are. We see Krishna in everything. So he says, you have cast away the effects of the material energy by the dint of your spiritual potency. Arjuna says that to Krishna. He doesn't say... You've taken me away from the material energy and taken me into the spiritual world. You've cast away the effects. So that's basically what happens when we surrender. And, you know, it's kind of like we have to take baby steps with surrendering. If you told someone, this material world is filled with misery and you have to surrender to Krishna, but that may mean you may stay in the material world, but because we haven't achieved that level of realization that can be very scary. And you think, well, why would I want to surrender if I'm just going to be where I'm at now? Um, so, you know, Prabhupada says, and even we read over and over again, we go back to Godhead. You know, we pray like 
liberate me. But when we start to have more understanding, then we get a deeper realization of what it means to surrender and what it means to go back to Godhead. So then, you know, we start to really embrace this idea of it doesn't matter what's happening around us, like happiness, distress, hot, cold. You know, we're unbothered by that. That doesn't really um, phase us, right? Because internally, we're exact, we know that we're exactly where Krishna wants us to be, and we're doing exactly what, it, what we want. We, he wants us to please him, right? He wants us to do to please him. So the difference of being in the material world and suffering is we're here and we're trying to please ourselves and we're trying to control everything. And that leads to suffering and it leads to misery. Whereas if we're in the material world and we've surrendered to Krishna and said, you know, whatever is happening is your will. I'll do whatever you want me to do, but it's for your own pleasure and it's no longer for my pleasure because we have the understanding that once we please Krishna, we will have pleasure as well. So it doesn't matter where we are, we can have that anywhere. Right? I think they call it heaven on earth. Um, and it's a, it's a mindset. It's, a, it's internal. It's, on the outset, it looks exactly the same. I can't remember what verse it is or where it said, but you, know, you can have two people that are doing the same exact things. But internally, what they're thinking about, their reasons for doing it, their motivation for doing it, it's completely different. And you can't know that just by the externals. You, know, you might talk to them, you understand, oh, well, this person's just doing it for the money, and this person's doing it to actually serve and help. Um, and they're not doing it for self selfish reasons. So does that make sense? All right. Well, we'll end here. Dantara Srimad Bhagavatam ki